Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. I'm Lisa Fisher, a longtime broadcaster and journalist and now a health coach based in Arkansas who's been in front of a microphone or a camera since the 1980s. I think of myself as the queen of Arkansas media. I started this podcast in 2020 to help you live a better life. Today, it's one of the thought leaders on the planet for intermittent fasting. It's Megan Ramos. She and Dr. Jason Fung have co-authored one of my favorite books, Life in the Fasting Lane, and now she just published her first solo book that's out now, The Essential Guide to Intermittent Fasting for Women. She's a wife, soon-to-be mom, podcaster, and fasting expert. You'll get to meet her right after this. Let's go over some facts right now for David's Burgers. David's Burgers dot com is the website fact number one fact number two they've been open for 10 years now you know them as the bubba's family that really knows burgers because this is a second and third generation of people serving you quality hamburger meat but also they've got a great catering option for you you can do burger bar that's for 10 or more guests or you can do box lunches 10 to 25 guests Great option for you if you're feeding people. But here's something else. You're feeding people at home, but it may not be a big crew and you want the really good meats. They've got them. You can buy them there now. You walk in and there's a freezer at all 10 locations of different options for beef. I got some chuck eye steaks, cooked that in my sous vide recently and then seared it. Oh my stars, that was good. I did the porterhouse steak. I got the sirloin, the ribeye. I'm thinking of all the things I've gotten there because they have them. Same price as what you get at a grocery store, but you know that they use really good beef at David's Burgers. So check it out. Go by there. Have lunch there today. Have dinner. You know this. They are closed on Sundays because they want you to worship with your family and they give back to the community, especially with adoption and foster care services. So check it out, davidsburgers.com. Who wants to help the dog rescue shelters and add some books to your library? I would think that's most of you listening. I have a new sponsor to the Lisa Fisher Said podcast. It's a woman who's a certified dog trainer with NADOI, which is the National Association of Dog Obedience Instructors. Her aim is to create dog breed identity for best selection. That means an owner's lifestyle should always dictate the breed of dog that person selects. She's a lifelong animal lover. And she's Pat Becker Wallace. She's an author and a philanthropist. She's devoted her life and her livelihood to animals as a dog lover, an animal enthusiast, and a pet advocate. She even hosted a national PBS show called The World of Dogs Biography Series. She's written many books and has partnered with many authors to write books to educate your children and to entertain your family with these books that deal with dogs. In fact, her goal with these books is to do what she's always done. That's to match the right breed with the right owner, which is so important to her. And the best part is when you buy one of these books, you are benefiting local shelters. Some of these are in Arkansas, including Care and Out of the Woods. One of the books from her website benefits the Heifer Ranch in Perryville, Arkansas. It's a book about these unique dogs at the Heifer Ranch. So I want you to go to the website, Dog talktv.com. The link is in the show notes and buy some books and know that you're helping the rescues and you're helping your family and the next generation learn about respecting and loving animals. Dogtalktv.com. She won most talkative in high school and she has been running her mouth ever since. Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast with your host, Lisa Fisher. Okay, I hope my listeners are sitting down because I have the first lady of fasting here. I call Dr. Fung the father of fasting. I call Jen Stevens the mother of intermittent fasting. So I thought, where does Megan fit in? I thought she's the first lady. Okay, your new book is out. By the time this drops, your new book is out. And let's talk, let's, you know, not bury the lead. Tell me about your new book. 
It's been a wild ride. Uh, Jason Fong's obviously written several books. I co-authored the bestseller um, Life in the Fasting Lane with him, but I've been very involved. You know, we've been partners since the start. We co-founded all of this together. So I've definitely played a role in his books. So the publisher just came to me and, you know, he said, you've got all this information. We don't even know where to start, but we need to start somewhere capturing it and putting it down. And as a woman myself who does this and who works with women of all ages, you know, 18 years old, PCOS, never had a period, um, 92 years old, um, wanting to live forever, lose a bit of weight. uh, And most women, you know, looking just to thrive in their retirement years. Um, That's primarily who we've seen. And there's all these weird myths and misconceptions out there. And it's just kind of wild because fasting's own, like not only has it given me my life back, it's enabled me to now be on this motherhood journey when I was told it would be possible. Um, but every single day for the last 12 years, I've seen it give a woman back her life. Whether, you know, they're 65 postmenopausal, um, diabetic and needing to lose a hundred pounds, or, you know, they are, their kids are now a bit older. They're approaching perimenopause. They never quite kicked that digest or gestational diabetes or lost that weight. Every day, a woman gets her life back through fasting. So all of these myths and misconceptions over the years just bothered me. People would always forward me these articles or these tweets, um, and I would look at the authors, and like none of them had experience fasting anybody. And then there was me, you know, who's working with patients from sunrise to sunset and beyond, uh, and seeing the the opposite. And I'm well aware that you know the the the. 10, 15 year randomized control trials are not totally there yet. But um, clinically, we're seeing it. And if you think back to how we evolved, I mean, we had to have fasted. It, you know, it was our only option for most of human history. Um, and then just again, every day. So I said, you know, I really want to tackle the whole subject of women, um, you know, not just speaking to young women in my age demographic, but speaking to the demographic that I've largely worked with, this, you know, perimenopausal to postmenopausal phase. You know, as a woman, I, I just remember all my grandmothers and my great aunts and everyone telling me how doomed I was going to be as I get got older. And I'm seeing women thrive every single day and we can totally thrive with the right lifestyle tools. So it came from that passion and that discussion, how this book just became to be. I would say for me in my journey, it was 2017. I was already postmenopausal. Um, but as I hit Uh, I'm 60 now. As I hit 40, I'd gained about 15 pounds. And I now think that's what they're calling thyropause. I think my thyroid was starting to burn out and I was perimenopausal Mm -hmm. because I was doing the nighttime awakenings, but I couldn't really get anyone to listen to me. I did finally um, find a provider who would uh, do the type of thyroid hormone replacement, bioidentical, you know, with armor thyroid. Um, But I still didn't lose the weight. I still had these 15 pounds that was on me that burdened me every day. And at 2017, um, uh, when I was introduced to Jen's book, Jen Stevens' book, and then one of the early books by Dr. Fung. So that was before Life in the Fasting Lane, because I love Life in the Fasting Lane. But 17, maybe it was the obesity code mm-hmm. or the complete yeah. guide to fasting. Those were a little sciencey for me. So I got them on Audible and it helped it. And the light bulb went off and I stomped my foot Megan and thought, I've been lied to. I was told to eat less and exercise more. Mm -hmm. And every time I attempted that, all I did was I was hungry all the time, which now I'm not hungry until it's time to be hungry. And I did not lose weight. In fact, I would gain weight. If I had a period, I would do a 90 day cardio challenge and I would do an hour every day. And in 90 days, I would gain four pounds and people go, well, it's probably muscle. I'd go, it's not muscle. I've gained (laughs) weight. So this is such an important message to my community because I'm now a certified health coach and my client this morning, who's my age, just said, I just, I'm 60, but I hate it. it. It's not a great time. And I said, I'm sorry you feel that way because I promise you 
there is light at this the end of this tunnel and it is fabulous so it's such a great message megan that you are encouraging women now the the contraindication or the caveat we do say about pregnancy i mean in fasting is no pregnant women should fast right no no teenagers should fast no former eating disorder if you haven't recovered from an eating disorder or nursing moms is that still the scientific perspective yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm pregnant now and I shared a lot of my fertility journey through my social media channels. We did embryo bank- banking. Um, so I think a lot of people think I had infertility issues. I didn't. But because I had PCOS when I was younger, I just burned through all my follicles. Um, so oh. I'm uh, so now, you know, I'm healthy. There's no reason why I can't get pregnant, but my ovarian reserves are a little bit low. So I'm going to be 30 39, probably by this time this podcast airs. And, you know, so when I have baby number two, I'm going to be in my 40s. So we didn't know if I would have eggs left. So we we did embryo banking and got a, you know, a few future babies lined up in the, in the freezer. Um, but, uh, you know, so I've, I've shared all of this and I've had literally thousands of women reach out to me on Instagram, Facebook, you know, they just found out they're pregnant, but they haven't lost their weight yet. And, you know, my heart breaks for you, but you can eat really well when you're pregnant, I mean, we, we, we were chatting a bit before this recording and the first trimester can be really rough. I experienced yes. that too. Um, so you've got to do what you've got to do. Um, but throughout the, you know, when you start to have better days and having some better days, um, you know, just eating really well and you don't need to eat from sunrise to sunset. You know, you might need to when the nausea is a little bit rough, yeah. eat a little bit more often. Um, but you know, you can still get in great nutrients diet. And I, I've actually heard from a lot of women that they still, you know, they only gain healthy weight during their pregnancy and just focusing on real whole foods. And the same thing when you are nursing, uh, a lot of women, you know, they don't hit their goals before they get pregnant, then they gain yeah. the weight. Um, you're going to burn so much through nursing um, mm-hmm. and you need the nutrients. But once you stop nursing, you know, usually we like to wait about six, six to 12 weeks after someone stopped breastfeeding to fast just to let some of the hormones settle okay. down and recalibrate. Um, I know not breastfeeding, not every woman can or nor is it for them. So about the same thing, six to 12 weeks after delivering, if you're not going to be breastfeeding, then we'll start with the fasting up again. Okay, great. I've never known uh, a, a definition or kind of qualifications that I'm glad you were able to line that up. Okay, let's talk about some of the things about fasting because I followed you for so long and listened to your podcast and of course know about uh, your reputation. And one thing I know about you, Megan, is you don't like the term window. And that's all we use in the fasting world <laughs> is about our feasting window but and fasting window. But what do you like to call it then? We just like to go back to meals, like the leave it to beaver style days. So I guess one of the ways that I different from other women in fasting is that I've tend to work with a more metabolically challenged population yeah. in general. And I think that's tied to my work with Jason and him being the diabetes guy. Right. Um, so we tend to have a bit more complicated metabolic insulin resistant individuals we work for. And I think that's primarily how my my book differs from other books on women on fasting. If you can lose weight with, you know, some time restricted eating and you can eat for eight hours on your eating days and you lose 70 pounds, that's great. If you've got more metabolic challenges, though, that doesn't always work because people who have insulin resistance, they have these toxic levels of insulin in their body and that's perpetuating the disease. And we develop insulin resistance through various pathways, but one of them is a chronic stimulus of insulin and people don't realize that even at low levels, but if chronically produced, we can cause insulin resistance. And if you already have insulin resistance, it's just worsening it. So we like to go back to the old school, how grandparents and grandparents grew, great grandparents grew up, believe it's a beaver style, we call it, just those three meals a day. Um, I've been sharing this a lot in our community um, as people have a lot of anxiety going into summer vacations Mm -hmm. and family visiting. Um, My husband gained 20 pounds in COVID like so many 
people did. Um, I actually gained most of it going back into office uh, and just sort of recalibrating. Uh, and then, of course, the guy doesn't try to lose weight till I get pregnant. Now he's <laughs> now he's on the, the right. weight loss ball. So he's been doing some really awesome fasting. Super proud of him. Uh, and then we recently went away for um, a baby moon. And I'm eating three times a day, um, not elaborate yeah. meals, but yeah. I'm eating. And so he was joining me and he was terrified. You know, he's like, oh, I've just lost all this weight, blah, blah, blah. Well, he lost two pounds that week because we were just eating meals. We weren't eating late at night. There was no snacking or grazing when we were being active. You know, well, <laughs> when we weren't napping, we were being active right. and mm -hmm. um, yeah. he lost weight. Yeah. And I see it, I used to see it when we had the clinic in Toronto every January. Patients would not want to get any measurements done. They wouldn't want to get any lab work done because they just had, you know, the month of December of eating. But our, our patients have been so trained to not snack, you know, to eat meals, to, you know, eat before they go to a party so they don't graze for hours or set a timer when they get to a party so they have a mini meal out of hors d'oeuvres and appetizers, um, but to not snack or graze. And so every January, these patients who expected to be up 10 pounds were down a couple of pounds. Right. If, if they thought their labs were going to be worse, they were the same or they were better. So the power of minimizing the number of times you raise your insulin levels even a little bit throughout the day is pretty significant. Most of the people that come to our program, they've been doing they, they've been doing great on whatever real food strategies they're doing. Um, and they've lost 50 of the 80 pounds or, you know, they were on uh, five diabetic medications, wow. cardiac medications. They're off of all of that and they've got an A1C of six. But why can't they optimize things? Are they so broken they can't lose the last 30 pounds? Are they too broken they can't get their A1C to five? Um, and literally with them, we just minimize the number of times a day that we're spiking insulin or producing insulin. Okay. And suddenly 30 pounds comes off. Yeah, and so we're really big on just meals and getting rid of windows and snacking and grazing. One of the biggest pitfalls I see for people when they reach maintenance is they go back to that grazing lifestyle and full of nuts, a piece of cheese, some vegetables, hummus, whatever diets they follow. Um, and then, you know, six months down the road, the weight's starting to creep up five pounds and they're worried about the snowball effect. Um, so that's one of the things that we really try to instill a lot in our community is, you know, let's get back to the basics, you know, and um, my grandmother was my only advocate when I first started fasting. Everyone thought I had an eating disorder in my family. And she said, you know, none of us got obese and none of us got sick. So the potato chips and the cookies were in the house all of the time. Your dad didn't go to a school with a pail full of snacks like you did. He was lucky if he got an apple. And if he was bad, I wouldn't even give him an apple that, <laughs> that day. <laughs> um, so, you know, um, just going back to those basic principles of how we live throughout a lot of even modern day human history. Well, you know, kids now show up to kindergarten at 745 in the morning with a Starbucks this big that they sip on all day. That insulin is hovering, you know, to the ceiling and the parents will say, but it was low fat or it was sugar free or whatever. And, and we now know about, well, part of that is also to, we know the flavors with the cephalic response, which is a fascinating study. Why don't you kind of address the cephalic response? And that's why Diet Coke can be detrimental when you're fasting. Well, so, I mean, a Diet Coke and sweeteners, natural or artificial, we do still see them raise insulin levels, even in the absence of glucose levels being up. But in general, that, you know, sort of pre-digestive response, when we think about food, when we see food, when we're yes. cooking and preparing yes. food, yes. Um, you know, when we're having something like a Diet Coke, you know, we do produce insulin in response to that. Um, it does trigger appetite. It you know, but it's produces insulin. So we actually talk a lot about mindful eating strategies in our community because there's a big difference between sitting down um, and being at like your 
kitchen island or dining room table with no phones or distractions uh, and having your meal and paying attention to your meal um, versus, you know, sitting down at your desk, eating while answering five emails, having YouTube videos going on in the background, you know, like you're trying to learn your new word working skill or something at the same time. Um, we have very different nervous system responses to to these particular foods. Um, but we do have like this pre-digestive response. So we'll start to produce digestive um, juices in response to certain stimulus. And insulin is produced during this particular response. You know, there's, um, it, sometimes we have to be a little bit cautious because people really lean into what we say, like it's the golden rule. And, you know, if you chew ice, you're going to have an insulin response. There is going to be that um, subelectric digestive response to chewing. Is ice. that right? Yeah, just chewing oh. or gum. So yeah, new gum because it had a sweetener in it. Mm -hmm. But I didn't realize even chewing ice because it does it tells the brain you're you're about to have a meal or you, whatever it is for your pancreas to release the insulin to usher yes. glucose to the cells. Okay. Makes yeah, sense. You see a colleague eating lunch, you hear someone crunching yeah. on something. Um, so, you know, we, we try to be conscientious of, of how we share this. You know, we want to minimize our insulin responses on our fasting days, but you can't get rid of them entirely on your fasting days. But in terms of responses and, and hormonal responses we have in the body, the nervous system response plays a big role. I think everybody's familiar with the flight or fight or the rest and digest concepts out there. Um, so we have our sympathetic nervous system, which is the flight or fight nervous system. And when we're in that state, um, you know, our body's producing glucose, it's storing fat, it's pumping, you know, pumping out insulin um, to help store fat. Um, we're not absorbing nutrients. We're actually taking metabolic energy and redirecting it elsewhere for our survival, taking it away from things like digestion and fertility. Um, so when we eat, when we're sort of even multi-distracted, we're going to have so much more of an intensive insulin response, be so much more um, able uh, to store and to trap okay. body fat. Um, and we're not going to absorb our nutrients as much um, versus if you're in that rest and digest state, you're going to minimize glucose, minimize insulin, minimize fat storage, and improve absorption of nutrients. So there's a ton of data that goes to show that if you are sitting down at your kitchen table having, you know, dinner, um, even if you're engaging in light social conversation, that's fine. But you absorb about 60% more nutrients from the foods you eat than if you were to eat at your desk while trying to answer emails or you're scrolling on social media. So all of these different things that we don't think about from, you know, sipping on the can of soda to eating at our desk mm -hmm. and answering emails. There's a lot of our behavioral activities that can cause this insulin response and sort of lead to these hormonal imbalances or cascades of hormonal imbalances. Hmm. Okay. Another uh, group of people that I deal with is, and I, I know you do too, and I, I want to know this is, not everyone has the wild success that maybe you had or I had or Jen Stevens had. I have a lot of clients who, though they've lost maybe 100 pounds and they have 150, they need another 50 to lose, they're stuck. I have a lot who have immediate success, but then they say they get stuck. What are some of your hacks that you have to help someone overcome that? Yeah. So, I mean, you can always try fasting longer. Um, and Jason's famous for saying, we'll just do a five day fast <laughs> yeah. and, and make it go away. No, that's not possible for everybody, nor do they want to do that. So on their eating days, we look for things that we can do to help optimize things. So are you snacking? Are you, you know, letting yourself eat for these big windows or have you gone down to meals? Um, a lot of the time I find that women in particular, we're busy. I know it's 2023. Um, I live in, I have what I consider to be a very modern marriage. And because I work from home now and my husband doesn't, like 70% of the household stuff still somehow falls on me. Um, 
And, you know, and, and that's just the way it is. And, and I get it. Um, but you know, women today are doing just as much, you know, um, we are busy and my heart breaks. Like I have a very helpful husband and I only have two dogs that are lazy as can be. Um, and I don't have this baby yet. Um, and it's a rush, you know, making meals is like just so draining. We always joke the minute we lose, win the lottery, we're like hiring a personal chef. Um, that's real. Our, yeah. our number one. Um, so a lot of women, they're on the go. I've got some patients and clients who work with, they have four kids, you know, ranging from eight to 18. And uh, so what they, what I find is because they're so on the go, they end up substituting meals for things like handfuls of nuts and blocks of cheese. Um, okay. And so instead of having side dishes, you know, with their meals, um, they're having like two cups of nuts, uh, instead, um, end up taking in a little bit more carbs, a little bit excess protein that gets converted to glucose. Um, oh, sorry, a little bit more excess protein that converts to glucose. Um, so, you know, we, we try to work with them on their meal structure. You know, if, if nuts and dairy are part of your routine, okay. Um, let's make them more garnishes rather than okay. side dishes and try to focus on those. And so usually I'll ask, you know, someone to keep a food diary and I know they always get flustered. No one wants to do it because of the old you know, calorie counting, diet counting mentality. Days. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of the times too, you know, I have to let them know it's not because I think you've got all these secret hidden carbs in your diet. I don't think you're, you know, there's, there's a ton of ice cream or anything going on, but you know, our, what is, you know, what are we using to fill up on? Um, because even in real foods, we can get into some imbalances with those. A lot of the times too, I find women really can either skip on protein or fat. So we'll work on addressing that. Um, you know, protein's actually hard to get in to the diet. Um, it, you know, even as a pregnant woman, I am so on top of it because it's absolutely critical, especially in this second trimester that I'm in. Um, and it is tough. Like every day I'm being real, like I have to be really diligent and mindful to get in my, you know, good, I'm five foot two. So I'm, I'm aiming to get a hundred, 120 grams of protein a day. It's I a remember, I remember how yeah. challenging it was, especially being nauseated. I remember my husband putting a chicken breast in front of me and I thought I would rather die right now than to have to eat that. So I, I definitely, yeah. I, I ache with you. <laughs> but so many women do for various reasons. You know, recently we had a person and she's emailed me and she's like, oh my gosh, like I thought, she said, I thought this assignment was just totally worth like useless. You know, I, I was so annoyed you wanted me to do this. And she said, I'm getting in 35 to 45 grams of protein a day on my eating day. Like no wonder my thyroid's struggling. No wonder my hair is right. struggling. Uh, I have cravings. Um, and she's someone, she's like, I would have totally bet I was getting 80 to 100 grams of protein a day. Um, and, and so, you know, we want to make sure that we're addressing any types of major deficiencies uh, in order to help someone lose weight, especially women. So we'll do more of a deeper dive into these different nutritional aspects too. And often that can help get the ball rolling um, with the lack of, you know, fast, without doing, having to do much more aggressive fasting. So for a long time, I thought maybe postmenopausal women, but even my younger clients weren't eating enough. But I think now, Megan, the way you're saying it, they're not getting enough protein when they I eat. I find that's a big problem for a lot yeah. of women. Um, it's rare. Oh, like one out of 10 women I work with are getting sufficient protein and sufficient fat in their diet. Um, it's something we have to work towards uh, doing. And yeah, I, I, we, we want to get it from real whole food sources too. Sure. You know, we don't want to necessarily be leaning into supplements. Uh, I understand why there is a market for it because it is challenging. Um, mm -hmm. But, it, you know, with some creative ways, you can definitely definitely. Um, you get it in a cup of bone broth with a scoop of grass fed collagen, you know, it's a good yeah. 25 grams yeah. of protein yeah. right there. Um, so helping 
you know, the clients and patients to get creative with these ways. My husband just couldn't see how at lunch he, he could get 60 grams of protein and well, broth, collagen, um, you know, we do eat certain types of dairies, the goat and sheep. So, you know, yeah. some sheep yogurt, you know, adding in some nuts and seeds. And then like suddenly, of course, with some, he'll have some grass fed beef. And the next thing you know, he's at, you know, 70 grams of protein for right. that meal. Yeah. So working with clients to help them find easy and sustainable ways to get it in through real food nutrition. Okay, by the time this ad is over, I will be your new best friend. Well, not just me, the folks at Ralston Family Farms. RalstonFamilyFarms.com. If you've ever listened to my podcast, you know they're longtime sponsors of the Lisa Fisher Said podcast and a lot of things that I do because we get each other. Uh, I tell you, the way that they they do their business, uh, the Ralston family there in North Arkansas, 10 generations of farmers, uh, sustainability is the name of their game, um, non-GMO product, all those things, right? Those are important. But the other thing they do, y'all, is they post these recipes on their website and they're my go-to. So my go-to for the month of June is going to be this rice salad with pineapple, cucumbers, and pecans. I know your mouth just watered because there's bacon in it too. I have one here who is dairy-free and it's got goat cheese in it. So it's a perfect recipe to accompany that whatever you're doing in the summer, whether you're grilling ribs or pork or steaks or chicken, this is the great side dish for you. And that's what they do at Ralston Family Farms. They provide not just the side dishes, but they can be main dishes too with rice. And of course, we're talking about the Ralston family brand. And that's the one you can find at Whole Foods, Fresh Market, Kroger. If you're shopping for rice, they have it. And if you can't find it, shop online, RalstonFamilyFarms.com. Hi, friends. I want to take a moment just to introduce you to something that I offer my listeners, my friends, my followers, and that is an online course where you can start fasting Today, yes, I do love me some intermittent fasting. I am a certified health coach and I began fasting in 2017. It totally changed my life. It changed the way not only that I look at food and nourishment nutrition, but I take less thyroid medicine. Some autoimmune diseases have been reversed. It's really the magic of fasting. But sometimes people just need a coach or a partner. But, you know, it may be cost prohibitive to hire someone like me by the hour. Well, do my online course. My online course, lisafishersaid.com slash academy. Right now for an introductory price is $49.97. You can start fasting today. The first video in that series is free. So go ahead and check that out. But I want you to get healthy and you can do it affordably. And then I'll save you money in the long run because you buy less food. <laughs> it's a great thing. I love fasting. I bet you will too. LisaFisherSaid.com slash academy. We can't have a discussion in 2023 without talking about the elephant in the room, and that's the GLP-1 mm -hmm. agonist, the glucagon-like peptide agonist. And we're talking about Ozempic, Monjaro, mm -hmm. um, anything in that classification of drugs. It, I, I have said that it has hurt my business because now clients who were going to come back or had been meeting me through, considered meeting with me, said, I'm just going to go get on Wagovi. Yeah. I'm like, that, that, it doesn't pain me for me. It pains me for them. The risk of, it has a black box warning of thyroid cancer. You're on it forever. But how, and I do think it's probably a great adjunct for some people. I, I, I absolutely understand that some people with type 2 diabetes have to get their insulin down. This is a way to do it. But tell me your position on the GLP-1 agonist. Yeah, okay. This is a very popular question as of late. And I, I feel like most of the the uh, population out there thinks these meds just came out like yesterday. I mean, they've been in clinical practice for several years. Um, and I it's just funny because now there's all this hype and this hoopla about it. And honestly, Lisa, if I had like a nickel, for every person who came to me every day and say, I must be the one person this doesn't work for um, because I've lost no weight, nothing has changed. Like if I had a nickel for every person, you know, even just this calendar year 
that has yeah. said that to me. I mean, we would all be living on our own island, all right. the whole fasting community would come together. With with yeah. our own chefs. Yeah. No, no, I mean, none of us would have to work again, like everyone listening. Um, so, you know, there's... A, it's not the be all and the end all. Um, In general, as an acute short-term use um, diabetic medication, I think it it has some benefits. Um, It does cause the body to produce more insulin. That's one of the mechanisms. Wait, wait, wait. So the GLP-1 agonists Mm -hmm. produce more insulin? Yeah, they cause the pancreas to secrete more insulin. It's not the only mechanism. They're not like sulfonylureas like liclozide where they're primary mechanism is for um, right. to nudge the pancreas to produce more insulin, but they do trigger the pancreas to produce more insulin. That's not what mean. we want. No, that's not what you want. And if you're a diabetic who's got this long history of type 2 diabetes, so we see what, these really unfortunate cases where there's zero pancreatic output in these type 2 diabetics. Yeah. There's no autoimmune conditions at, like at at all. Their okay. pancreas has just been so burnt out through yeah. the eating habits. It is just burned out. It can't produce insulin. So they look like a type one diabetic. There is two patients in our clinic in Toronto that we had to put on insulin like a type one diabetic <sighs> because of this. Um, so I always tell people think of, you got to think of your pancreas as a tire. Right. If, if you're, you know, and, and you got to treat it like it's on the most expensive car, you know, it's your body. Um, so, you know, if you've got this fancy, fancy Bentley, Rolls Royce, Lamborghini, whatever your dream car is, you need to think of your body like that. You know, are you going to be driving it that hard, you know, back and forth across the country, across the continent? Like you're not going to do that. Uh, and if you did that, you know, you would burn it out. You'd burn those tires. You have like, it would cause problems. That's what we do to our pancreas is following the standard North American diet and dietary advice. And it gets worse. The more diabetic you get, the worse the diet recommendations. Oh, get. it's criminal what they're told Yeah, to, to increase their whole grains, to eat seven or 20 times a day, whatever their stupid advice is. I, I just, I, I shake my head and I'm sorry that that's the only advice that those people are getting. No, it's, it's, it's absolutely terrible. So they're burning out their pancreases. So I like, I don't like patients going on sulfonylureas. It's just short term, maybe if they need it for crazy reasons, um, you know, and so the, again, that's not these like those epics of the world, that's not their primary mechanism, but that's what they, they do do okay. that. Um, so, you know, COVID hit, uh, my family is in Canada. I'm originally from Toronto. I'm, I'm only new to the Bay area. Um, so Canada had some pretty intense lockdown situations. I, I think we, we learned uh, the whole world heard about Canada. Yes. Um, so, you know, it, it got pretty depressing there for a lot of people. I was there sure. for the first year and then we, we up and we left cause we were done, um, with it. So, yeah. um, it was depressing and Jason called me one day and he's like, Megan, your dad's blood sugars are going back up. You know, I talked to him. Um, you know, he's, you know, he's really struggling, like so many people are right now. Um, yeah, I told him I need to give him something for three months. Um, and, you know, three months, he's got to figure, figure out this COVID life. Um, and I knew my dad would, like, I, I had full faith that my father would figure, figure this out. So I said, okay, put him on Ozempic for three months, um, just to help, you know, cause it is good for the blood sugars. Um, it does help cut a little bit of the appetite. So I thought it might give my dad a tiny bit of the edge. It doesn't do that for everybody. Um, but you still have to have the right behaviors and mindset and motivation. And I knew my dad, you know, after a few weeks of this, he was going to feel pretty awful and he was going to get back into doing things. And that's what happened. Now it's been two years and he hasn't taken it and he's doing just fine. Right. Um, so for a short-term intervention, sure. Some people do find it takes the edge off their appetite. But unless you learn what to eat, when to eat, you know, how to eat uh, and address, you know, any self-sabotaging mindset behaviors that you have with food, it doesn't matter. It's not going to take the edge off of anybody doing anything. If you use food, like it's your best friend, you hang out with it, you celebrate with it, you're strike boredom with it. Um, you know, it's those things don't get changed by a miracle injection. There's no such thing. Um, so I think it's just, it's totally crazy. Some of these 
celebrities too. Um, a couple of them are clients of mine and I understand that people need to be careful about fasting still controversial, especially females who are role models to younger children. There's a lot of controversy. So I understand people not wanting to blast this, you know, uh, across their social media profiles. But some of them are working so hard at nutrition and fasting. And because they're getting such great results, you know, they're just being blasted as these Ozempic you know, celebrities. Oh, yeah. And they're like, they're not even taking it in the first place. Um, and half the people that have come forward who are more celebrities, so it didn't do anything for me. You know, Elon Musk, it didn't do anything for me. Um, so anyways, it's just, it, it's like everything else in life, you have to put in the time, the effort, the elbow grease, you have to make changes uh, and adjust if you want to get real sustainable results. And listen to your body. It, it, mm -hmm. I always tell my clients, your body doesn't whisper, it really shouts. It's, you're so busy eating, you can't hear it. So, the, But the fact, Megan, that Jason Fung gets your medical advice for your father is well, probably the highest honor one could it is equivalent to knighthood in the uk so uh, well, congratulations he is my okay. dad i wouldn't be his his primary care but. well i think it's sweet okay um i heard a instagram um uh high fluting person today influencers say they called berberine nature's ozempic and I thought that is a great way to word that to let people know that it's, in fact, um, there's a gal in my town who uses it for longevity, anti-aging, you know, all the things that are benefits mm -hmm. of it. So let's talk about berberine's role. It's the over-the-counter version, if you, if you want to say, of metformin, which is a diabetic mm -hmm. drug. So let's talk about that. Yeah, it works, very, it works just like metformin at helping to reduce blood sugar levels as a similar mechanism of function in the liver. But it's got other wonderful benefits to it too, not just from blood sugar. So anti-aging, disease prevention. I had uh, a client this morning who's got some like if you've got the bad genes for cardiovascular disease, she oh. won the lottery. She got every single one. Wow. So through nutrition and lifestyle, she's trying to suppress the expression of them. And the only intervention she's actually implemented in the last three months was berberine. And she's seen her, her lipo um, protein A come down, her ApoB come down, the ratio wow. of them both improve. Like these markers that they told her would only improve on a ton of statins and those new injectable medications. Yeah. Uh, and that was the only thing she's changed. She had some good preliminary results with some niacin and then adding in the berberine has made a huge impact. So I think if you can tolerate it, you absolutely should take it. Uh, I mean, everybody can have, I, I cannot tolerate berberine, um, but I will recommend everybody try it. Um, and Does it give you it. nausea and all like Manjaro or Ozempic would? Uh, it gives me a ton of nausea. And I was actually talking to James Nicolantonio and some other friends yeah. about it. And they thought, you know, perhaps I had a bit of thiamine deficiency issues. Right. Um, so after, after pregnancy and whatnot and getting my micronutrient levels checked, uh, I will take it. I, I do think that they were right uh, uh, the thiamine deficient issues because I had delayed, you know, uh, well, I would get um, those really bad muscle cramps, everybody, you know, after you work out for days. Uh, so the or do you acid. have Hashimoto's? No, I don't. Okay, because that's, that's a common component that Isabella mm -hmm. Wentz talks about is yeah. the thiamine deficiency with it. Oh, hmm. So, well, I, I did prior to pregnancy, well, prior to trying to get pregnant, drink quite a bit of green tea. Um, so James is like, you're just depleting yourself through nutritional, um, nutritional Oh, so means. that worked against you. We think Because so. that helps sometimes in adrenal fatigue, mm -hmm. which is also a thyroid patient. That's what I am. So I, mm -hmm. I kind of, you know, know my, mm -hmm. know my stuff on this stuff. So that's interesting that the green tea can work against you in that instance. I, I was taking several cups a day. I'm on the West Coast, working East Coast hours yeah. primarily. Yeah. Um, so I, I will say I was abusing it. Um, but uh, we did start our conception journey shortly after I got that sorted out. So after, after baby, I will try berberine again. So I do think it's got a ton of benefits. It's great. There's a lot of holistic things that you can use in lieu of a lot of these 
pharmaceuticals and get better results and only have additional benefits rather than potential side effects of the right. of, of them as well. So berberine is a really great one. Inositol is another really popular one. Right. I love inositol. Yeah. yeah. I like it for sleep and rest and I, that that's my benefit. Uh, I mean, one of the things I, or what I like about it, I'm, I have berberine, but I just forget to take it. So tell me, you know, here I am preaching to people, you need to take berberine, but I, it's just one of those things I forget. Am I taking it before the meal or after the meal with the meal? Usually with the meal or right before the meal um, uh, is when I, it's supposed to be the most effective. I mean, if you really forgot and took it right after the meal, I don't think it would make that much right. of a difference either. Um, but we usually tell people, you know, when you know your food, your meal is almost ready, you know, have your have your berberine, have okay. whatever else you're going to take, and then, you know, sit down and have your meal. Now, another thing you and Dr. Nadia talk about on your podcast um and we'll, I will put all this in the show notes, of course, about the book and everything in the show notes. And one thing you talk about are the, the rolling 42s and a strategy to really help because a lot of people do get stuck, right, mm -hmm. with their weight loss. And my clients, I know, breathe into a paper bag when I want them to go to a 20 and 4 type eating schedule, not windows, you know, just trying to cut down their hours. But then when I say, well, you need to listen to Megan Ramos and the rolling 42s are like, oh, I can't do it. So explain that and explain how it's so effective and what it's really doing for if you're if you're not losing weight, you're insulin likely you're insulin resistant. So when you have insulin resistance, the data really shows and clinically the the results show that the insulin doesn't even really start to drop down to a point where you can access body fat stores until about 20 to 24 hours into a fast, which is where so many people are cutting off their fasting time. So, you know, if we're trying, if, if we are struggling with a lot of insulin toxicity, we need to get those levels low enough. I always joke like each of these little insulin molecules, they're like um, bodyguards for the body fat, protecting the body fat. And we've got to fast through to obliterate enough of them so we can go to town and attack our body fat. Um, so you've got to get rid of the insulin as much as possible. So most of the people that you know, we serve in our community do have this toxic level of insulin, and we're just starting to make headway at 24 hours. Um, so, I mean, we can chip away at it and just do 24 hours and, and really chip away at it. But most people want to bold dose it, you know, or at least go at it with a hammer. And that's why we want to stay in that 24, like we want to stay in the fast once we get to that 24 hour mark to actively be able to burn the body fat and also to suppress the insulin for a long enough period of time. You know, once we have insulin resistance, our cells are, are literally resistant to our insulin. Uh, and it's true that absence makes the heart grow fonder, not just, <laughs> not just in relationships or with TV right. shows or whatnot, but like at, with uh, at a cellular level too. So giving that sustained break really boosts insulin sensitivity. So um, we know when Jason and I started, we encouraged everyone to fast for a day and then eat three meals the following day. Fast for a day, eat three meals. And the math of that works out to be about 36 hours. But a lot of the patients came back to us and they're like, if we can just get through the night, we can keep on going. It's True. really sort of that end of the day window, you know, when the hunger hormones can sometimes be boosted a bit because, yeah. well, we're used to eating at 6 or 7 p.m. Yeah. and our insulin goes up a bit at night. Um, but then a lot of them say, you know, we wake up, we're not hungry and our blood sugar levels are already elevated in the morning. If our blood sugar is going up, what we've learned from you all is that our insulin must be going up too. And we're not even eating. So why eat? Like let's burn down our glucose and not add fuel to the fire. So our own patients coerced us into doing what we call the 42 hour fast, where they would just have lunch and dinner on their eating days. Now, back in the our, our old school days, we just turned 12 years old this week. Um, so back then, most of our patients were retired. It was Toronto. It was a winter time, yeah. <laughs> uh, or we would have winter. Um, so it was not always social all year round for a lot of these patients. And they could do true alternate days. Fast one day, eat. Fast one day, eat. But as 
you know, we've shifted into non-winter time zones or people who have families that are active on the weekends, um, you know, we really encourage people to try to do three of these fasts a week from 24 to 42 hours, just so we can do fasts that you can chip away at them, but we can also go at it with a sledgehammer, a bit of a bulldozer and get the insulin down long enough so we can burn a good amount of body fat, suppress the insulin long enough, um, generate more insulin sensitivity. And we don't do this forever. Um, you know, I reverse type 2 diabetes, fatty liver, PCOS, and I lost over 60 pounds in six months. Um, and, you know, I, I did a combination of 24 to 42 three times a week. And it worked really well. Uh, and I could vary it depending on my schedule. If I didn't feel well one week, I could do 324s. If I had some social events, I could do 324s or I could mix them up. And if I felt great, I could do 342s. And I just stayed consistent with it and I was able to hit my goals. Um, and then, you know, I typically follow a two, two meal a day strategy with the occasional longer fasts here and there and until baby. And now I'm doing like 12, 14 hours of fasting with my meals, um, with baby on board. So, you know, there's, um, and I maintained, you know, well, until pregnancy, I actually lost an additional 20 pounds. Uh, I was down 83 pounds total. And I maintained that weight wow. loss for over a wow. decade before getting pregnant. <laughs> wow. That's great. Yeah. That is such a help to your, I mean, all your organs. Mm -hmm. That's what people don't understand. Our organ health really has so much to do with our overall health and it's taxed. I mean, Dr. Bickman has explained that so well and mm -hmm. why we get sick is that what it does, insulin resistance does to all the organs and um, your ability to conceive, that's tremendous. And I'm so happy for you. Well, now at one time, Dr. Fung, and you both, I don't know if you said it too, but, and you mentioned it there, Megan, that you would have kind of a refeed day because that's how we upregulate our metabolism but then I heard him recently, maybe, I don't know if his tone changed, but I felt like he wasn't saying to do a whole lot more. I just came off a three-day fast. Oh, we're recording this on Friday, so I didn't eat Monday at 6 p.m. Mm -hmm. I put my fork down. I didn't eat. I actually started at 4 p.m. yesterday to get my digestive juices going. I had some bone broth and watermelon so that I wouldn't get sick when I did eat at 6 p.m. So I was two hours shy of actually three days. So I ate last night. Well, I do have very, um, my, my satiety levels are extremely sensitive. My cholecystokinin and um, YY peptide and all that because of the way I eat. I eat a high fat, you know, diet. But this morning I woke up and I didn't have breakfast, but I almost wanted it. Not that I, I don't think it's good or bad, but I just thought, why am I hungry? I went through, I just went three days without food and I ate lunch today at 11 o'clock, which I typically don't do, but had a real high fat meal and I'm fine now. So, and I, I am planning on eating a dinner tonight. So am I, is this part of my refeed or is this just, I, I don't feel like I'm overeating. I'm just making sure that I'm satisfied, not skimping. Is that the philosophy? Yeah, that's exactly. It. I think um, actually one of our most hated blog posts, Jason's <laughs> written all these favorite blog posts, was he was like really giving a lot of grief to these like bulletproof coffees and teas and fat yeah. bombs. Yeah. And I, I will tell you in all of the thousand blog posts he's written and all of the books that he's written, he's never written anything that's angered people more. Like we got like almost half a million emails uh, about, the, I'm not even joking. It was mayhem. We still get emails about it because he refuses to take down the blog post. Um, and so it's, and, and he, I know we all kind of struggle him and myself and the rest of the team about, you know, we, we don't want people to shy away from fat, but you can't totally slather it on everything. Um, you know, I, I was working with someone recently who was literally eating mayo with a spoon just to like eat fat because she thought it was helping. Um, and so we don't want to be doing that. Or you know, my husband's trying to lose weight and the other day he put a ton of butter on his steak. And I was like, okay, don't like, you know, better, um, used to work with us, like you stop it. Um, so it's about eating to satiation. 
if we were working, like Jason and I, we had this one patient who was like 88 pounds. She's like five foot one. And uh, <laughs> she, was, uh, she was a type two diabetic. Her body Is composition right? was awful. Even yeah. though she was thin. Yeah, she had a terrible fatty liver. Um, she had all kinds of visceral fat. So, you know, that she had weak and brittle bones, sarcopenia. Yeah. So she needed to put on some good weight and lose the bad weight at the same time. So for her, have the bulletproof stuff. Slobber on the mayo and the butter on everything. Eat a bit beyond satiation from time to time. Um, but we, we just, we really want to be eating fat to satiation, but not beyond and not eating it for the heck of it. And this is something I know he, he struggles. I struggle. Uh, the rest of our team struggles with trying to convey, and, you know, not be told we're anti-fat or not. You know, I, I love it. Um, as a pregnant woman who is growing life and whose team is after her for not really gaining weight, um, baby's growing fine. Um, yeah. like I'll, I'll drizzle uh, olive oil on an avocado, for example. But yeah. um, if you're trying to lose weight, then, you know, be mindful of what you do with the butter and that type of stuff. All right. Uh, Max Lugavir just recently had someone on. I wasn't familiar with him, but he kind of threw a wrench into what I've always said, or I felt like Jenna said it, you've said it, or Jason, and that is to mix it up with your fasting and feasting schedule. So, you know, you might have breakfast tomorrow, breakfast and lunch. You might skip a day and then the next day have dinner. Well, mm -hmm. he was acting like he was trying to convey, I think, with circadian rhythms that you needed some type of schedule because your body maybe depends on it. What's your philosophy with that? Yeah, that's a great question. So when people are actively trying to lose weight, um, we the more variation, usually the better. Okay. You know, Jason will say sometimes on Saturday, have breakfast, really confuse yeah. the heck out of your body, mix it, mix it up. And we're constantly mixing it up with people and even sometimes mixing up their dietary you know, strategies too, uh, temporarily to shake things up. When people get to maintenance, though, we do talk more about hormonal regulation, circadian rhythm, and that, you know, our metabolism really does run highest middle of the day. If yeah. you can have your bigger meal middle of the day is, you know, we sort of need to mix things up, like have lunch, dinner and breakfast rather than breakfast, lunch and dinner okay. in terms of food order. I don't really think you, you need to eat more than twice a day. Sometimes you only you're fine just eating once a day, too. Um, so, I mean, there is a little bit for that. Um, rarely is if someone's adrenals, like if you're at the point where you can't, and I got to this point um, when I had mold toxicity and you can't stand up to make tea. You can't stand up to pour yourself a glass of water. Wow. Your, bl your blood pressure is 74 over 43. Yeah. Um, you know, then focusing on balancing your system, your circadian rhythm, supporting your cortisol, your adrenals, your thyroid hormones. Like there's there's a time and a place for for that. But I mean, if if you're not in that state of thyroid detriment or, you know, um, adrenal de detriment, then we find it only to be beneficial to mix things up. And then when you get into maintenance, you can focus on optimizing all of the other aspects of the circadian rhythm and health. Um, I remember in the beginning or a few years when I first started in 2017, Jason would say, I like calling him Jason now. I've always called him Dr. Fung. <laughs> Dr. Um, but he would say um, to try to get your meals in before the sun sets, right? Mm -hmm. And depending on where you are on the globe, the sun, you know, if you're in Europe, parts of Europe, the sun sets at about 3.15, <laughs> you know, in other parts, it doesn't set, right? So um, now the science is saying, well, on second thought, just have breakfast and lunch and let's skip dinner because you're most insulin sensitive mm -hmm. um, in the morning and you're more insulin resistant at night. Is that still something you might say? Yeah, definitely. Especially to people, um, uh, you know, who are sort of at their goals and looking to maintain good health. Um, you know, the, the sunrise and sunset. So I, I'm in the Bay Area and uh, we came here for, for my husband's job. I'm still learning the lay of the land. Um, but we're going on something like the 10th week of like the sun not setting till like after 9 p.m. 
Um, And we struggled with this in Toronto, too, because this is a popular sentiment. You know, we eat before the sun sets. Well, in Toronto, it doesn't set till 9 p.m. for like half the year. And then the other half the year, it sets at 3 (laughs) p.m. So what are you supposed to do? Um, So, you know, in general, I, I encourage people, you know, make sure you've got a good four hours between your last meal and going to bed. And if you okay. can get in more than that, that I mean, sometimes you can't. And and I get that. I respect you've got to do what you've got to do. My husband used to work at home and we would have our big meal at lunchtime um, yeah. when we were eating and we wouldn't really eat dinner. Um, so, uh, but now he doesn't work in the home anymore. And it is what it is in this household because we're not having dinner at lunch. Um, and I don't have time to make lunch. <laughs> so, so, right. uh, so it varies, uh, it varies per, per household, but yeah, if you can eat earlier in the day, um, when we've got retired, um, clients that we work with, you know, eating like sort of a, a brunch and an early dinner, like nine and three, trying to get that second meal in before about four o'clock in the afternoon, that's sort of optimal and what we aim for with that population. Okay. Well, your book, The Essential Guide for Intermittent Fasting for Women, uh, is it out now? This will drop just, we're doing this just a few days before my podcast. We never do this, but you were such a special guest and I knew your book was dropping this week. Is it out yet? Yes, it is. It's been, it's been wild. I really appreciate everybody's support. Thank you. I will download it today. Is it on Audible yet? No, uh, okay. I don't know when it's going to be. Uh, that That's a, a big thorn I've got to <laughs> figure out. Okay, well, I'll get it downloaded because I have them all and they're a part of my library. And it's um, why I'm in good health, why I've reversed five of my six autoimmune conditions. Even my GI doc said we were never designed to digest all day. I have a rare swallowing motility disorder and I've reversed it. And yeah. I asked him what he thought it was. He said, I mean, my doctor said it's fasting. He said, yeah. because your esophagus needs a break. And we were never, that's why I said you're never designed to digest all day um, and you need the break. I'm still working on my vitiligo and I'm encouraged that every day, you know, I get one inch closer to repigmenting my skin and fasting has a lot to do with that. I do eat a pretty much a meat based diet and I think that helps me, but we're all yeah. different. So thank you so much for being here. Great job. Oh, thanks, Lisa. I appreciate you having me and happy fasting to everyone listening. Thanks for listening to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe and download all the episodes and leave a review, won't you? The Lisa Fisher Said Podcast is produced by ClantonCreative.com. It's Lisa Fisher time.